Hi everyone, and welcome back to Endopod. For those of you who are new here, my name is Lois Mitchell, and I'm a third year medical student. Today's episode, we're continuing on from last week with our Endogyne series. So go check out last week's episode on the physiology of pregnancy by Nina if you haven't had the chance to listen to it yet. Today, we're going to discuss the endocrinology of gestational diabetes. We will discuss the basic physiology of the pancreas, as well as the pathophysiology and management of this condition. To start us off, gestational diabetes is a hyperglycemic disorder which develops during pregnancy due to an inability to synthesize enough insulin, and it is not associated with any pre-existing type 1 or 2 diabetes, and usually this disorder disappears postpartum. This disorder can develop at any point of the pregnancy, but is most common in the second and third trimesters. Just like in other types of diabetes, gestational diabetes affects how your cells use glucose and the associated hyperglycemia can negatively impact both the health of the baby and the pregnancy. Let's now dive into the basic physiology of the pancreas. The pancreas is a dual function gland, which means that it has both endocrine and exocrine functions. However, for today's episode, I will only be focusing on endocrine functions of the pancreas. The main endocrine role of the pancreas is to regulate the blood sugar levels of the body. It does this by secreting the hormones glucagon and insulin from the alpha and beta cells of the islets of Langerhans respectively. So let's now dive in and have a closer look at how these hormones regulate blood sugar and their role in regards to gestational diabetes. Let's have a quick look at insulin. Insulin is a peptide hormone produced by the beta cells of the islets of Langerhans in the pancreas. It can generally be perceived to be the anabolic pancreatic hormone. Insulin interacts with many different hormones throughout the body, but for today's episode on gestational diabetes, we only need to know that the main function of insulin is to decrease the blood sugar levels by promoting glycogenesis whilst also inhibiting glycogenolysis and hepatic gluconeogenesis. However, insulin also stimulates the beta cells of the pancreas to produce more insulin and inhibits the alpha cells from producing glucagon. Now, we'll have a quick look at glucagon. Glucagon is another pancreatic peptide hormone, but this time it is secreted from the alpha cells of the islets of Langerhans and not the beta cells where insulin is made. The main role of glucagon is to increase the blood sugar levels in the body by promoting glycogenolysis and gluconeogenesis, whilst also inhibiting glycogenesis. Therefore, we should consider glucagon to be the catabolic pancreatic hormone. A further action of glucagon is to stimulate the alpha cells, which leads to further glucagon release. Let's now touch on the epidemiology of gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes is a very common condition that affects at least 4-5 to five women out of every 100 during pregnancy. There is no way to prevent this condition, however, some women are at a higher risk of developing it due to the associated risk factors. Let's now discuss these risk factors. If you are the patient is overweight or obese, the BMI greater than 30, and this includes any excessive gestational weight gain, the patient is not physically active or has a past medical history of insulin resistance disorders, such as a previous episode of gestational diabetes or PCOS, and go check out our episode on PCOS if you haven't done that already. The patient also has a family history of diabetes, they've had a previous delivery with a baby weighing more than 4.5 kilos the woman is older in age, or if they have any sleep disorders, and low and high birth weight are also likely risk factors of gestational diabetes because of their association with insulin resistance. Low birth weight is often a result of undernutrition in the womb, either as a result of maternal undernutrition or placental insufficiency. 
Finally, women who are Hispanic, Native American, Asian or Afro-Caribbean in origin also have a higher risk of developing gestational diabetes. Therefore, keeping your BMI under 30 whilst also leading an active lifestyle can help reduce your risk of developing gestational diabetes. We will now move on and have a quick look at the pathophysiology of gestational diabetes. As we already know, gestational diabetes is a serious pregnancy complication where a pregnant woman experiences chronic hyperglycemia and is often the result of impaired glucose tolerance due to pancreatic beta cell dysfunction on top of the chronic insulin resistance of pregnancy. And if you want to learn more about the changes that occur during pregnancy, make sure to check out Nina's episode from last time. Therefore, both beta cell impairment and tissue insulin resistance are key components in the pathophysiology of gestational diabetes. This insulin resistance occurs when the cells no longer function properly to insulin. At the molecular level, one major change is due to a failure of insulin signaling. This causes inadequate plasma membrane translocation of glucose transporter 4, or GLUT4. This is the primary transporter that is responsible for bringing glucose into the cell to use its energy. Furthermore, the rate of insulin-stimulated glucose uptake is reduced by 54% in gestational diabetes when you compare it to normal pregnancy. There are also many other molecular changes that occur in pregnancy in regard to insulin resistance, and many of these molecular changes can persist after delivery. Neurohormonal dysfunction has also been implicated in the pathogenesis of gestational diabetes and other insulin resistance disorders. This network regulates appetite, active energy expenditure, and basal metabolic rate, and is made of a complex network of central and peripheral signals that regulate lipogenesis and glucose utilization. This is closely linked to circadian rhythm, and this reinforces the link between chronic sleep disorders and gestational diabetes. Gestational diabetes is also linked with an increase in hepatic gluconeogenesis, but this is not associated with the pathogenesis of the condition, it's just that it occurs at the same time. And also, unlike in type 2 diabetes, gestational diabetes is not associated with any skeletal muscle insulin resistance. This is important to remember, as any antihyperglycemic treatments that decrease skeletal muscle insulin resistance without further reducing plasma glucose concentration can cause harm to both the patient and the fetus. The placenta also contributes to insulin resistance during pregnancy through the secretion of hormones and cytokines. As a barrier between the maternal and fetal environments, the placenta itself is also exposed to the hyperglycemia of gestational diabetes and can suffer the consequences. This can impact the transport of glucose, amino acids and lipids across the placenta to the fetus. Now that we know how gestational diabetes comes about, let's now go over how a patient might present. Oftentimes, women with gestational diabetes don't show any symptoms and it's only picked up incidentally with a urine dipstick test at an antenatal appointment, or the patient goes to an oral glucose tolerance test if they have risk factors for gestational diabetes. However, some women can develop symptoms of hyperglycemia, such as increased thirst, increased urinary frequency, a dry mouth, or tiredness. But it's important to remember that some of these symptoms are just common symptoms of pregnancy and do not necessarily mean that a woman who presents with these symptoms has gestational diabetes. Although you do need to reassure them to contact a midwife or a doctor if they're concerned about these symptoms. You should also keep in mind that having gestational diabetes places a woman at an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes later on in life. 
Let's have a quick look at the effects that gestational diabetes can have on the fetus during pregnancy. Many women who have gestational diabetes have a normal pregnancy and give birth to healthy babies, even though they have gestational diabetes. But it's important to know that the gestational diabetes can cause problems in pregnancy. These include excessive intrauterine growth, which may cause issues in delivery and increase the chances that women will need to have a C-section or labour will need to be induced. Polyhydramnios, premature birth, less than 37 weeks, preeclampsia, the baby can also be jaundiced at birth, or the baby can be hypoglycemic at birth, and unfortunately, in very rare cases, the baby can be stillborn. Now, we'll have a quick look at how gestational diabetes is managed. If the high blood sugar levels of this condition can be controlled, then the chances of complications in pregnancy go down. Normally, patients are given a blood sugar testing kit so they can monitor the blood sugar at home and see how treatment's going. So, to start us off, the first line of treatment to manage hyperglycemia in pregnancy is changes to diet and increasing exercise. But if these alone do not work and blood sugar targets are not met within the first two weeks, the patient will need anti-hyperglycemic medications such as metformin or insulin injections if metformin is not effective or contraindicated for any reason. It's also important to know that if a woman presents with a fasting plasma glucose greater than 7 millimoles per litre at diagnosis, then she should be offered insulin treatment immediately alongside a change in diet and exercise. But if a woman has a fasting plasma glucose between 6 and 6.9 millimoles per litre, as well as any complication of pregnancy, for example, polyhydramnios, then they should be started on immediate insulin treatment with or without metformin. Women with gestational diabetes should stop all of their anti-hyperglycemic medications immediately after birth, a blood test 6 to 13 weeks postpartum, and if that is normal, then they have another one annually from there on. So, in conclusion, gestational diabetes is a common pathology of pregnancy and does not always present with any symptoms. Usually, it's only picked up during an oral glucose tolerance test if there's any risk factors and antenatal appointments. It's normally due to impaired beta cell function in the islets of Langerhans and an increased insulin resistance during pregnancy. Gestational diabetes is normally treated with lifestyle changes as well as insulin injections and metformin. Women with gestational diabetes should have a blood test after birth to make sure their blood sugar levels return to normal as gestational diabetes places women at a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes later on in life. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. Be sure to follow our social media platforms and tune in next week for our next episode of our endogyny series on endometriosis. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do follow us at Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Also, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. We thank you for the support. If you have any requests for future podcasts, please let us know. As a disclaimer, Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace the advice of any doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third year of the medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. To view them, please check the episode description. Thank you.